Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. It truly is to be a great day here in God's house, worshiping together. And God is building up the walls of the kingdom all around us as we worship together. Let us hear now the words of God as interpreted and written by Peter in the church, to the church in Galatia and Pontius, Cappadocia, and Bithia. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that you by it may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, remind us. Remind us this morning that we are your people and that you are our God. That you have been here since you laid the foundation of the earth. And have been preparing it all for us. So as we worship with each other virtually today, let us be reminded that we are assembled into a mighty building a mighty fortress that you have built for the kingdom and that we are called to anchor our lives upon this foundation. So as we hear your word read and proclaimed, let us not just be hearers of your word, but transformed into doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. In a former church, our youth program met in a house on the church's campus it was a great house. It was, it was an older home that had been converted to a youth space. And as would happen from time to time, there was a youth group in Ohio that would travel to Florida for mission camps and events and the like, and they would stop over and stay in this house with us. 
And so as it was a part of our policy and practice, our youth director was responsible for meeting that youth group and letting them in and making sure that they had everything covered and then was their point of contact if things went bump in the night. And so on one such visit, about 9 o'clock that night, my phone rang and it was our youth director. He said, we've got a problem. He said, the sink is backed up, the disposal is jammed. He says, it is a calamity. He said, they're fine now, but do you think we could get this fixed in the morning? And he called me because our facilities manager, she was on vacation, and so he knew that I would figure out what to do. So the next morning, I grabbed a couple of wrenches, a flashlight, that funky little tool that's always at the bottom of the sink that you use on the disposal hall, and thought, this is probably all we're going to need. And then on the way out the door, I grabbed a plunger. So as I arrived first thing in the morning at the house, I knocked on the door and I met the surliest of you chaperones I have ever met. I said, well, how are you doing? And she grumbled and complained and I got a whole litany of issues. For example, the youth director had not met them right on time. He was 15 minutes late, so they had to stay in the parking lot. And she was griping about that. And then she told me all about how the sink wasn't working and how it had backed up and that they'd had to have that sink full of water all night long and that that was a major problem. I'm thinking to myself, well, we'll take care of this. And I said, well, I'm sorry about that. Well, let me, let me get to work on it. And I looked at the sink and flipped the switch on the disposal and I heard it turn on, but then it jammed and I thought, okay, we've got a problem. So I climbed under the sink and was resetting the power and using that funky little wrench and was trying to talk to her and sort of finding out about their trip and what they were doing. And the whole time she was just reaping more complaints about life in general and about how awful our church was for hosting them in such poor conditions. And I'm looking around thinking, it's just a sink. So by the time I got it fixed, I used that little wrench and cranked it up and you could start to hear the water drain. I grabbed the plunger, gave two big pushes and everything cleared up. And about that time, the other chaperone walked in she was not much sunnier, I have to admit. She was also, and she looked at me, she looked at her, her, her compatriot, and she said, who is he? Is he one of the ministers? And before I could say, why, yes, I am, and I'm sorry you've had trouble, the other one goes, oh, no, he's just a plumber. You know ministers don't know how to do any kind of work. And I sat there, and I thought, you know what? At this point in time, I'm just going to continue impersonating a plumber and I'm going to escape. And I grabbed my wrenches and out the door I went, shaking my head as I drove over to the parking lot where the offices were and laughed about it ever since. It just goes to show you that sometimes there are ministers hiding right in plain sight, camouflaged some days as a plumber. As Peter's writing his text to the early church there in Asia Minor, he keeps reminding them about their persecution, reminds them they're being persecuted because of their faith and their faithfulness, but he encourages them to carry out their lives in Christ's direction, to carry out their lives as they are being fulfilled by the hope of the resurrection. And so in today's passage, he reminds them that they have a calling that they can't just hunker down and hide within the walls of their house churches, hide in the walls of their sanctuaries, that they've got to be living stones, living, being, living beings of the faith. Furthermore, he tells them that they are a royal priesthood, that following Christ is not just an inward journey, but there needs to be an outward expression. 
And so that idea of a royal priesthood becomes a wake-up call for them. And it's a reminder to us that we are called to live our faith and to show it to the world, to be the hands and feet of Christ so that others may see Christ's glory through our lives. Now in the church, we have those, some of us that are ordained. We are, as the, as the text says, set aside for specialized ministries. We have elders who are set aside for ordering the life of the church. And we have deacons who are set aside for connecting the church to the world. But in reality, not just elders and deacons, but all of us are ministers. We are all called to be ministers and to live our faith. So in the context of today's passage, this idea of the priesthood of all believers becomes about living into our vows of discipleship, by being fully devoted followers to where we are devoted, we are serving, and we are witnessing to our faith. We hear in the gospel the commandment from Jesus to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. We hear that echoed in the mission statement of the church to follow Jesus, to make disciples for the transformation of the world. And while we're talking about making disciples, that's that idea of witness. We'll get to that in a minute because in order to make disciples, one must be a disciple first. One must be fully devoted to God and to God's teachings fully devoted to God and God's way of life. And so as we begin to unpack that idea of being a disciple, being fully devoted, we begin to realize it's about our heart and the condition of our heart. We have to have, to, we have, to have a giving heart, a heart where we practice generosity with our time, our financial resources and our skills and our talents so that we are furthering the mission of the church but more importantly, a part of that is not just about giving to further the mission. It's about an understanding with a heart filled of gratitude of what God has provided for us and God has done in life around us. But as we begin to take our giving heart, we then begin to realize that we need a listening heart. A heart that is listening to God, that is in a constant state of prayer, whether we are on our knees praying to God privately in our homes, or whether we are walking through the town and the city and the world around us, praying and giving thanks for the things that we see, expressing concern for those who are in our midst that we see that are suffering, seeking God's guidance and God's compassion on the world. And then as we have that listening heart, it gives way to a learning heart, a heart where we want to understand God's word in the depth of our soul, where we pour into this book and we read the words that are there and figure out what it is that God wants for us to learn this day and who it is that God wants us to be and what it means for our lives. See, being a disciple, being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ means declaring Christ as our Lord and our Savior, but it means about an attitude of how we live where Christ is before us, Christ is beside us, Christ is lifting us up, Christ is pushing us along the road of life, Christ is watching over us. And so as we become fully devoted, we begin to adopt the way of Christ the imitation of Christ in our lives. 
Not that we think that we're the Messiah, but that we think that Christ influences who we are to the very core of our being, and we reflect that to those around us. But just as we start with this idea of being fully devoted, that soon gives way to a calling to serve. See, service is the outward expression of our faith, of our discipleship. See, our true calling as disciples is to serve. That is what God calls all disciples to do. I'm always amazed when people say things in meetings or in places like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not my job. I'm always reminded of this picture that I keep on my phone every so often. I turn through the scroll of pictures and I see it. And it's of a possum on the highway. It's a piece of roadkill. And you can see this possum and you can see where somewhere on the previous couple of weeks, the road striping crew has been by to freshen up the dividing line between the lanes of traffic. And sure enough, someone has painted the possum. You see, it's not, those, it's not the line painter's job to move the possum apparently. And that's a problem, I think, in our world. Because if you contrast that with the hospitality industry, with what you see at, say, Walt Disney Incorporated, see, taking out the trash is everyone's job at Walt Disney World. Sure, you have the little fella or the girl with the, with the brush pan and the broom, and they walk along and they sweep up the trash. But later, if you pay attention, you see managers walking along through the parks and the facilities. And they too have tongs to pick up trash. And it, it's expectation of every staff member, every cast person at Walt Disney Incorporated, that if they see trash to pick it up because it makes their facilities look better. It shows the world that they care about all of their facilities, whether it's a park or a hotel or an office building. See, that idea that that is everyone's job, that nothing is beneath even the CEO of Walt Disney Incorporated to pick up trash is a reminder to us that in the kingdom of God that nothing is beneath us, that service is everyone's job. Sure, we have the ordained clergy who as elders might receive a chalice to be reminded that we serve communion or the deacons might get a bowl to be reminded that they serve all of the world. But the reality is for all of us, who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we are all called to serve. That no job is beneath us. That we are called to teach, to care for each other in the world, to worship, to be active in our church, making a difference. Because there is no job in God's kingdom, no job in the life of the church that we are not called to fulfill as servants. See, part of our calling as living stones, is that we are expected to serve. We're expected to be the living embodiment of the church and our community around us because right now, more than ever, the world needs our service, our commitment, our care. And so this interconnectedness between what the world needs and what God calls us to do, who God calls us to be, runs right alongside the gospel message of God's love for all humanity in the world. And so the question for us today is where are we being called to serve? And just as we become fully devoted followers, just as we begin to give and to serve, we cannot forget that we are called to witness our faith, 
that we're called to show the world whose we are and whose business we are about. It's the last part of our membership vows. When someone joins a church, we say, will you support the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? See, we have this good news in our hearts, the joy of the resurrection. We can't hold it for ourselves or hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Instead, we're to share it with the world so that everyone sees that Christ is the light of the world. Now, in some faith traditions, the ordained clergy wear a clergy collar like you might see on a Catholic priest or an Anglican priest or a Lutheran minister. And let, as you know, when you see one of those folks walk into the room, it catches everyone's attention. There are some Methodist ministers that wear the clergy collar as well, and it gets a reaction when they go to a meeting or to a coffee shop. I'm always amazed at what happens when people ask me what I do. They meet me out somewhere and we strike up a conversation and they ask what I do and I tell them that I'm a Methodist minister, though sometimes I must confess I do want to tell them that I'm a plumber, but I don't think they'll buy it. But when I tell them that, it's always interesting to see their reaction because now I've given a visible witness as to what I do and whose I am. And so sometimes they act on better behavior rather than wanting to jump down my throat or fuss and gripe. Or maybe they want to seek guidance with a personal problem. Or sometimes they like to tell me how much better their minister is than me. And they don't even know me. And I know their ministers. And sometimes they're right. But the reality is, is that when we find out whose we are, we talk to ordained clergy, it changes our behavior. So let's talk about our witness. Clergy that don't wear collars or disciples out in the world. What happens if we let our true colors show? Now I'm not talking about the colors that your hairdresser knows all about. I'm talking about what if we let our true colors show about our faithfulness, about the God that we serve, about our calling to be disciples, fully devoted and serving the world. What if it looked like if we shared the world who we really are on the inside and what we are called to do? Another way of looking at that is if our faith was a crime, much like it was in the early church that Peter is writing to, would there be enough to convict us? Are our actions faithful enough that invites a conversation from others that wants to know why we look at things differently, why we have so much grace for the world around us, why we share so much love with the people that we meet. Are our conversations rooted enough in the gospel message of love that we invite people to walk that journey with us? You see, when people see a clergy collar, they immediately know what that person does. But do they know who we are and what we do and what we're about by the way we live our lives, by our faithfulness, our devotion, our discipleship? See, I think the world forgets that there are ministers hiding in plain sight We are camouflaged as plumbers, as teachers, as hairdressers, as clothiers, as retirees, lawyers, etc. We're camouflaged by all of you. 
We look just like each of us. Whether we were gathered here in this place or looking around the rooms in your homes or your neighborhoods, we are all ministers. That's what we are called to be, fully devoted disciples, to serve a world that needs the witness of God's grace and God's love. So this week, as the world begins to open up, as the world begins to become more active, let's let the world see our true colors, to let them know that we are a part of a royal priesthood held together by the capstone of Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.